welcome to season three of Footnotes and Witness. My name is Deborah J. McKenzie, and this season we are going to study witness testimonies of people in the Bible to see Jesus' character rightly. By seeing their stories, their witness testimonies, maybe you'll even be able to relate to some of them. And then as we see God at work in their story, hopefully you will see God a little bit easier in yours. Let us be faithful witnesses to His character and glory. Rahab is a name that shows up in two very important lists in New Testament. The first is Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and also the list of the faithful in Hebrews 11. Rahab is one of only five women listed in Jesus' genealogy. That's Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah's wife, which is Bathsheba, and Mary. In a patriarchal or male genealogy, the female names in this list should jump out at you, and they're certainly worth taking note of. That's one of the first times that I noticed this name Rahab. I knew it was in the genealogy, but I didn't know a whole lot else about it. Now, in the list of the faithful in Hebrews 11, Rahab is the last name mentioned with specific incidences of why they're faithful, and one of only two women. The other one is Sarah, wife to Abraham. So who is this woman? What does her story have to tell us about the gospel? So the easiest place to start is by looking in the cross-references or simply doing a keyword search of the name Rahab in Blue Letter Bible, Bible Gateway, or something like that. Now, this is one of those times when I would kind of caution you against doing a simple Google search and just looking at a website that you already know and trust that you use for scripture, because that's what you want to start with is scripture. What does the Bible actually say about Rahab? Not what are all the commentaries and theories and conspiracy theories about Rahab, because you're going to get all of that stuff in a Google search. The first place you're going to be taken to is the book of Joshua, Joshua 2. Now we have a specific event being told, so this is narrative. So let's remember our three narrative specifics, character, setting, and plot. So the plot, what had happened? We're going to start with Joshua 2, where Rahab's story begins, but it's important to know the context. So for the sake of time, I'm just going to hit some of the highlights. Basically, God's chosen people, the Israelites, have been enslaved in Egypt, and Moses is raised up among them and leads his people with the help of God out of Egypt, and they witness lots of miracles along the way. And fortunately, when they get to the place they're going, they lose faith. They're going to wander the desert for 40 years while that unfaithful generation dies off. So now with Joshua, we have the second generation and Joshua as its new leader, Moses has passed away and they're ready to take the promised land. So they are literally on the other side of the Jordan River waiting for it. Now on the other side of the Jordan is a town called Jericho and Jericho has 
pretty big defensive walls around it, and it's going to be hard to overcome it. But they've already had many military victories throughout their time of wandering in the desert and as they're getting here. So they're feeling okay about it. But Joshua, their leader, wants to send in a couple of spies. And so he says, you guys go in and kind of scope out Jericho and see what you can see and how we should proceed these two spies enter Jericho and they end up at the prostitute's house named Rahab. So it's verse one that tells us that Rahab is a woman of the night, a prostitute in the land of Jericho. And she hides them because the king knows that the spies are there and he goes and sends people to Rahab's house and he's like, hey, give us the spies. And she lies. She says, hey, they left. You should go out the gate right now and go and see if you can find them. They're not here. And they're actually hidden up on her roof under some flax seed that's been set out to dry. Now, she says to the spies, I've hidden you, I acknowledge you, and I would really like it if when you come back, you don't kill me and my family. (laughs) I think it's actually really important to read what she says specifically because it is a beautiful testimony of a foreigner giving admiration and acknowledgement to God's sovereignty. So this is Joshua 2 verses 9 through 13. Rahab says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sinog and Og. That's in Numbers chapter 21, if you'd like that reference. Whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. This foreigner, she proclaims God's sovereignty, asks for mercy, and in the same breath, commits treason against her own people. The king was looking for these spies, but she said they're not here. Go look another way. So we have the setting also, Jericho. One of the easiest ways that you can start trying to figure out the setting is just by looking at a resource like Blue Letter Bible and seeing what the name means. So Jericho literally means it's moon. And this was a town that was five miles to the west of the Jordan River and seven miles north of the Dead Sea. And it's actually a good idea to do a Google search on Jericho if you want to go down that rabbit trail, because Jericho is a site that has been inhabited for thousands of years, and it has quite a history. At the time of our narrative, Jericho is in the land of Canaan. And from our account in chapter two, we have a couple of descriptions. So in verse five, it says that there's a big city gate, and it's going to close at nighttime. In verse 15, it tells us that some of the houses are built into the city walls with windows facing outward. And it's high enough that they're going to need a rope to be lowered out of it because that's how she gets the spies out of the city is she lowers them down a rope out of her window. 
And we also see from chapter six, whenever the Israelites actually go in to take the city of Jericho, that it is heavily fortified. So we have our setting. We have this town of Jericho. We know what had happened. So that's the plot. And we have this amazing character, Rahab. So if we actually look up the definition of Rahab's name, it means wide. And in the biblical definition and blue letter Bible, she's actually called a harlot of Jericho who aided the spies to escape, saved from the destruction of Jericho and married Salmon, an ancestor of David and of Christ and commended for her faith in the book of James. And we have her name listed five times in Hebrew because that's an Old Testament. So we can expand our ideas about the character by looking in those other places where she's mentioned. So in Greek, she's only listed twice. So that's in the New Testament, and that's in Hebrews 11, verse 31, where she's in the list of the faithful. It says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And then in James, it's chapter 2, verse 25. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? So in the case of Hebrews 11, there's just a list of a lot of people who were considered faithful. And it's a really great list to go look at, not because they're awesome, but because God is awesome. The people on that list include people who didn't do anything in particular, like Sarah is acclaimed for getting pregnant, which she didn't do, and for the walls of Jericho for falling down. Like, that's an inanimate object, but they're called faithful for falling down when God told them to. So it's an interesting list, but Rahab is on that list as well. In James chapter 2, he's talking about having faith means that you should be able to see that faith with works. Now, it's not that your works will make you saved or give you faith, but that faith, the byproduct of having faith, is that you have works that you can point to in your life. So for example, in James chapter two, starting in verse 23, it says the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friends. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So the point is that Rahab believed she had faith in God and she carried that out by her works. Now, it's not saying that her works gave her faith. She had faith and believed and was afraid of God before the spies even ever thought about coming to the city. But when they came, her faith spurred her onto action and gave her works. And she saved these two spies from being caught by the enemy inside Jericho. Okay, so we know what her reputation is, and we know what she did. Let's try and connect some of the dots by using the genealogy in Matthew chapter one. So there's a very long genealogy that is all the fathers of, but in verse five is when we see Rahab and it says Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. So that means that Salmon and Rahab were dad and mom of Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. 
So Rahab was Ruth's mother-in-law. Now, this is where things get really interesting because it was very important. In fact, it was in the law and there are several stories to support it that the Israelites were not supposed to marry foreigners, that they were not supposed to intermingle. It's actually the downfall of Solomon because foreigners come with foreign religions and you care for those people because you're a nice person and you love them and you slip into heresy by giving in to the other religions of the people around you. And that's one of the reasons why God said, you know, destroy everything in the towns that you come across, because I cannot have any competition. I will not have any competition. And if those other people, those foreigners remain, you will be tempted. And so for the sake of the Israelites, God tried to remove that temptation But we can see that it wasn't every single person. God didn't commit genocide across every town that he delivered into the hands of the Israelites because we have lots of foreigners who survived. For example, Rahab and all of her family. And she ended up then converting. And even though she was a harlot, married someone of faith, Salmon. It's always a little hard for me because it's spelled just like the fish and I want to say salmon so that it's not like a fish, but I, I can't because that's just a terrible way to say the word. Anyway, I wish I knew a better pronunciation, but Rahab's husband <laughs> was salmon and they fathered Boaz. So then it kind of helps you see why Boaz would have been open hearted to a foreigner from Moab like Ruth. Because when Ruth comes into town, she very easily could have been scorned by all the Israelites because she was from Moab. And there's a whole nother backstory there. But bottom line, she's a foreigner. But now we can kind of understand why Boaz probably had an open heart about it because that was his own parents' legacy. Okay, so now we know some of the logistics and the facts of our setting, our plot, and our character. So I hope you notice that we have not done any application. We have not asked ourselves, what does this say to me about how I should live my life? We just want to find out who Rahab was and what she was involved in and what the Bible says about her. So this is where we should always start. And once we've kind of laid this out, we've written down our notes, we've written down our scripture references, and we have a better handle on who this character is and what they actually did and what they didn't do, then you can ask those really important questions that will lead you to application. But once again, application is still not the most important thing. So let's start with, what does this tell me about the character of God? And where do I see the gospel in this? So question number one, What does this tell me about the character of God? How do we see God's character in Rahab's story, in her witness testimony? I think we see it the most in her own witness testimony in verses 9 through 13 in Joshua chapter 2. She says a couple of things that are just amazing. (laughs) 
First, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She's talking to the spies. So I know that God has given you, the Israelite people, my land. And the fear of you has fallen on all of us. So she's she's already said, I know that God has made a claim here and that it is a good and righteous claim. The Lord has given you the land. It's yours. And then she says, I know your history. I know about the parting of the Red Sea, and I know what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. So that's in Numbers 21, like I mentioned earlier, and it's definitely worth going and reading. It's not that long of a chapter, but basically the situation around this is these are Jericho's neighbors, and they were probably in contest with each other multiple times. And so if you know your neighbor is a worthy adversary, and then you hear about these people who are hanging out in the desert, and they completely defeat them. Now you are paying attention to these weirdos camping out in the desert because they defeated your neighbors that you've been fighting for God knows how long. So she's saying, I I know what God's already done for you. You destroyed those two Amorite kings. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. So she's saying like, we have no hope of defeating you. But instead of that making her like resigned to defeat, she finds hope. She sees a God who destroyed her neighbors and thinks, well, that's a God who might save me. That's a God who might have mercy on me. If I can do something good, maybe I can prove it. That's probably what she's thinking. I don't know what she's thinking. Now we're getting into speculation. But this is what she comes to these spies with. There's no spirit left in any man because of you. Why? For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And then she makes her plea. So it's amazing to see that she acknowledges God, what he's done and what he did and what he's going to do. Then she acknowledges his sovereignty and then she asks for mercy. So you might be thinking, Deborah, that's what the scriptures say about Rahab. And you told me, what does this have to do with the character of God? Well, you'd be right. But (laughs) what we see here is that this is the fear of the Lord. This is the character of God. And we see it in the Bible all over the place. And I have seen many people, believers and not believers, who get tripped up by that. Well, I don't want to fear God. I don't want to be scared of God. And I think we we lose sight of what that really means. So to fear God is more accurately, I think, to say, be in awe of And that's what we see here with Rahab. She's in awe of this Yahweh, of this God, of the Israelite people who can destroy their neighbors and take land before they're even set foot on it. That's what she's doing. And that's the character of God, that he can actually inspire awe in other people who have never been in that space. She's never been with the Israelite people. I mean, can you just imagine like someone from another country who maybe doesn't even speak your language, walking into your church on Sunday morning, they've never walked into a church, they had no idea where the church is. But they found the church and just walked in and was like, hey, God's real. And I want some of that. Like, that would be crazy. (laughs) Like, how did you find out? 
She just heard about it. That's it. No missionary came to her door and gave her a track. Nobody tried to get her off the street corner or whatever being a harlot in ancient Jericho meant. Like she just heard about God and believed. And that is the character of God, that he can be that inspiring, that he can change hearts without ever actually being directly involved in their life. So I think there's a lot to say there, which I won't get into, but (laughs) that's who God is, that he's that inspiring. So that's question one. Question two is, what does this have to tell me about the gospel? So the gospel, you know, Jesus came as that final and single sacrifice for all of our sins. And I think with someone with a sketchy past like Rahab, we see the gospel pretty clearly because no matter what you've done, no matter what life you've led, you can be redeemed. My friend Lindsay gave uh, a talk on Rahab and she had the best quote. And then, of course, because she does watercolor, she watercolored it. I'll link to it in the show notes because I bought one. It says, the gospel turns adultering enemies into a faithful bride. Like That's the perfect quote about how you see the gospel in Rahab's story. Like she did not have a a life of sexual purity. She was a traitor to her own country, lied to her king, misled them, hid spies, kept them safe, got them out of the city, and then negotiated for her own safety and peace. And yet, (laughs) we see because of this genealogy that she married an Israelite, that she converted, that she was part of the faith, and fathered Boaz, who then married Ruth, and on down the line to Jesus Christ. Like that is an amazing redemptive gospel story. He took a harlot, a traitor, and redeemed her in his people, so much so that we still see her name today. And we associate her directly with Jesus Christ. I think that's the really hard part about having a background that is sketchy and wanting to be a Christian or having been a Christian and did some sketchy things and you want to come back because there's so much shame. There is so much guilt. And I think the church in particular, not every church, of course, but as a organized whole has done a really bad job here. (laughs) I know women who had children die and no one in their church knows. And it's happened 20 years ago. I know women who have had abortions and that is their deep, dark secret that they pray no one at their church will ever find out about because they're afraid of being kicked out. Like this is our application. I mean, there's lots of applications, but this is the one that I'm choosing to plant my flag on. (laughs) If Rahab is good enough, then so are all these other women. Life just happens. And some things happen to us. Some things we can't control. Sometimes we make bad decisions. Sometimes bad things happen to us, so we make bad decisions. Either way, men and women have done sketchy things. And yet, God still says, I love you, and I want you to be part of my family. So who are we to stop that? 
to get in the way and say, no, you've done something sketchy. God would not approve of you. First of all, I don't want to be in the business of approving or not approving. That's a really hard job and I don't want it. And I don't want to be in God's throne. And that's what we do when we say that. We take God out of his throne and we put ourselves in. And that's not a place you want to be, I promise you. (laughs) From personal experience, it's much better if you let him sit in the chair. This is what we have with Rahab. She has a sketchy past. She hears about God and displays unimaginable faith and belief. And God says, yeah, you, come on. I will, I will save you. I will save a remnant of your people and I'll make your people part of my people, which happens with Ruth. <laughs> the whole thing is just awesome. Anyway, Rahab's one of my favorite and one of my favorite women in the Bible. And I'm not sure that we talk about her enough. And I remember just trying to figure out why genealogies were in the Bible and reading that genealogy in Matthew around Christmas time, because, you know, I was like trying to read the oral account a few years ago. And I was like, there's a couple of women in this genealogy. Ruth, okay, I know her. Like Tamar, I got to look her up. Rahab, what does she have to do with it? And then like connecting her with Ruth and everything just came alive. Bible is the best interpreter of itself, and it's the best supporter of itself. So seeing the genealogy in Matthew and the acclamation in Hebrews and James lift up this woman who is the mother-in-law eventually to Ruth, who a few chapters earlier just decided to hide some spies because she knew that her town was about to be obliterated. That's phenomenal. And I really love just reading through the account. I'm hopefully encouraging you to just go read it for yourself. The account of Jericho actually falling is in chapter six, Joshua chapter six. And, you know, I know the VeggieTales version very well, um, but I've always pictured all the walls falling, all of them. But there's something there because Rahab's house is in the wall. And so if you look at kind of medieval walls and castles, you can see that they would have two layers and that people would live in between these walls. But they were kind of, they were not the nice parts, literally the fringe of society. But she lives in, in the wall and they get her out after the walls fall. So God either didn't let that particular area of wall fall or he didn't collapse all the walls. I don't know. There's something there. And I think I think you should go read it because it's fun. And I would love to, man, I wish this was more interactive because I would love to hear what people think about it. But God saves her. He knows what her faith is going to do. And he, he knows where she's going to end up in the genealogy of his own son. And that the gospel turns adultering enemies into faithful brides. And I know, because I am a faithful bride. And I definitely <laughs> had a sketchy past. So I'm grateful for God's character that he can inspire belief without any proof. I'm inspired by the gospel and how true it is and just how much he's actually worth it. Because that is such good news, y'all. 